0: Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight, once again, is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow.
1: Hello, everyone. It's great to be here again.
0: And we also welcome our elite regular panelist, Bruce Garrick. Hello, no gamers. today so we're going to be talking about uh, a new war game called Pike and Shot from Byzantine Games in the Lords Game Studio, published by Slytherin. Uh, it is a... Well, it's the title's kind of self-explanatory, actually. It is a war game set in the late Renaissance, uh, between the you know the end of the uh, you know pre-gunpowder era and the start of sort of formal eighteenth-century uh, warfare, uh, you know the sort practiced by Frederick the Great and Napoleon. Uh, so, I wanted to start off with, uh, you know, Troy. Let, let's start off with you. Okay, um, tell us a little bit about what this game is about and sort of what are the salient details of this period.
1: Well, it covers really an interesting period in military history. I mean, from the late 15th century to the mid-17th century. The game itself, it has three historical, they call them campaigns, but they're really not. They're three historical sets of scenarios set in major conflicts. Uh, The three big wars of this period, the Italian Wars, the French invasion of northern Italy, where they end up fighting against Austria and Spain and all the Italian states. Of course, the Thirty Years' War, the Catholics and Protestants with the... uh, military innovations of uh, Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden and how his innovations changed we had to go up against his his infantry against the uh, Imperial Tercio Pike and Musket combinations. There's a really nice combination of two really big heavy units fighting against each other. And then uh, the left third one is the English Civil War, which has um, you know, pretty much traditional pike and musket armies leading up to a sort of professionalized army in the new model army under Oliver Cromwell. Um, in many ways, this period's more interesting strategically than tactically because it is really the the last great heyday of the mercenary force, um, at which point, you know, the Thirty Years' War is just so costly and keeping up a mercenary army requires constant pillaging and destruction of the landscape that it almost become, makes all of a sudden an expensive state army starts making more sense than just hiring mercenaries. So the strategic starts, the bits are almost more interesting than the tactical stuff we have here in the game itself. But tactically, it is really, it is where you see the a lot of experimentation. Um, historically, you have, what's the role of cavalry when you have large pike armies with muskets mixed in between them, what do you do with light cavalry? Is heavy cavalry is there still a place for the heavy cavalry charge? Uh, you have the mixing of uh, light guns into infantry formations, which gives them an extra bit of power. And the units that do that, uh, Adolphus's armies were quite adept at that. It gives them an extra little bit of punch. Um, it, the forest of pikes makes uh, attacks on the flank. Not that easy because the army has to be the unit has to be pretty much already engaged before a flank attack attack works because they're kind of like moving defensive squares so you have a lot of real these aren't really mobile armies they don't move a whole lot uh, you're not going to have a whole lot of great delicate dances around the battlefield but you do have a nice mix of tactics and movement and some really interesting combinations of units. And I think it's really quite impressive in this game how even units that look superficially the same, because so many of the infantry units are just pikes with guns in between them, uh, actually do feel kind of different from each other. Your traditional pike and shot unit is very different from a Spanish tercio. Um, so there's a lot of subtle differences that you, through a few playthroughs, you'll start picking up. Um, I really do think this is a pretty good introductory war game to a really underdone and very interesting period of history.
2: Bruce, what did you make of it? I was just hoping that Troy would give me more uh, of a lecture about uh, you know mid-17th century warfare. That was fantastic. <laughs> I, I think we should just continue that. um yeah, I mean everything Troy said is is right on the money, and uh, the question is whether Pike and Shot really uh, does justice to the to the era. And I think that I think it does a it does a nice job of of highlighting exactly what Troy says. Um, it's uh, it's a definitely an introductory war game. Um, you have some clear systems that are uh, um, you know in play. The idea of the cavalry charge is sort of um falling out of vogue um but uh, but cavalry is very important in this game uh the there, there are different types of cavalry um the uh, tercio is a uh, you know a characteristic sort of uh military uh formation which has its own strengths and vulnerabilities i think all of that is really portrayed very well in this game
0: yeah it's um It definitely is very introductory. It reminded me a lot of a sort of uh, computerized Memoir 44 almost just in the way it's Hmm. a very simple I go, you go system, Um, you know, units. You don't even have like the choices you have to make aren't even that difficult, right? Like uh, firing is basically a free action. You have to worry about like whether units are loaded up or not. It's just, you know, it's it's just, you know, push your units around, move them into range, uh, let them go at each other. But I was also really it was, an interesting, it was an interesting experience playing it, because at first glance, I felt like I was almost straight-jacketed by how immobile and awkward these armies are. These are incredibly awkward armies, uh, compared to what you might be used to from playing like, um, Napoleonic-type war games. Uh, like you said, Troy, the 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 heavy infantry formations really are just moving uh, squares. Uh, it's true they can't be flanked, but at the same time, they they basically move like bulldozers across the battlefield. You you know, it's it's really a lot of the game is about bringing those units to bear in in the place where they can do the most good, uh, without getting them all caught up in a traffic jam caused by their own awkwardness. Uh, this is very much a unit a a game about uh it may not be a delicate dance of units troy but still very much about some kind of shuffle uh between the units and and that's uh it's interesting to the way that plays out in many ways this is a game that seems to unfold almost in slow motion and you really do have to think about you know, the, the, where your unit, units are going to be in a few turns uh, based on sort of their glacial movement and how you're going to be able to form a firing line, deliver the decisive uh, charge at the right, right place at the right time uh, without sort of getting stuck with your units stacked up around each other or setting yourself up for a complete massacre because the enemy caught you out.
1: Yeah, there are all sorts of little neat rules here in the system that I think make it not... There aren't really tough decisions. Like you say, your decisions are generally quite simple all the way through, but there are, you know, decision points that will affect when a battle will turn. For example, a pike and musket unit has will do more damage if it doesn't move before it fires. If it just stands there and fires, you will do more damage, which makes more sense. Which makes makes sense. You know, you're you're in position, you can get your shots lined up and you do more damage. Um uh, And also, if you're only a few squares away, uh, you will do more damage than, of course, if you're further away. But you can do a lot of damage in a charge, too. So do you charge with your pikes, or do you take that shot and weaken them and wait for the next turn, knowing that in between turns, enemy units that haven't fired get a free shot at you? There's a shot and melee resolution round after every everybody's moved in their turns so there's a lot of you know smoke going off there's a lot of melee stuff going on and this speeds the battles up quite nicely so choosing when to fire and when to charge those are really your big choices that's that's when you're that's when the game gets interesting is when do you make that move um and you know in some ways it's kind of underdone. Un- these decisions are hampered by the interface, which really isn't all that good, and it isn't a good-looking game. It's not always clear, uh, you know, how strong uh, at a glance one of your pike units is because you can not it doesn't get depleted, for example. A unit that has 50 pikemen left will look just the same as one that has 1,000 pikemen. Um, so you've got to, you know, check all your numbers, and you can't easily just tell at a glance in the battlefield which uh, thing is fading or not if everybody's just disrupted or fragmented um but so there are but there are a few choices here and there but you're right rob this isn't a game that with you know really major tactical decisions you're making beyond getting your units in the right place at the right time for that final push fighting that sphere pumped and hoping you can turn it
0: Bruce, did the uh, simplicity work for you? Did you find it a, the good kind of simplicity, or did you find yourself uh, getting a little bored with this game?
2: Well, I mean, I, I don't I don't know that, uh, I mean, I don't get bored by simplicity. I guess the, the thing about the game that, uh, you know, that you guys touched on is that the, the decisions are pretty uh, straightforward. I Like Troy, I felt that the game, you know, it's more of a, a game that's, it's like an electronic board game in a way for me because uh, it doesn't, use the the digital medium to its greatest effect i think troy's comment about the the is right on um there are a lot of things that are sort of done in a way that they would be done in a board game uh and none of the display it's very hard to you know to get information at a glance on any unit um it's not something that uh uh really shines in that way and i i agree i don't think it's a very the art design isn't great um but the decisions are pretty stark, and uh, you know you do come to uh, these these choices that are very clear. Um, and it's it's interesting to me because I mean I really like uh, I like the period. I think that the um, the sort of early musketry uh, and and the sort of the the growing firepower of formations. Um, when mixed with their sort of immobility, creates an interesting uh, an interesting dilemma, and that's the the funny thing about the game that uh, that I I was really surprised. The one thing that this game doesn't have is any rules for leadership, and. I found that to be, I mean, I think I understand why the choice was made. Um, leadership rules add a whole other um, layer of sort of uh, friction to the system. And I can see how when they're designing a game like this, they really just want to leave you with the decisions of, like Troy said, when to charge, when to fire, um, and, you know, attack. You try to maneuver for an attack on the flank or the rear. Um but uh, but it really plays oddly um, as as someone who's played a lot of uh, I mean I've played a fair amount of of games fair number of games uh, of the Thirty Years War type and I mean all games like this need if they're, if you're really going to call it a historical game you need to model the idea of leadership uh, have. Um, that extra layer, where certain units will be able to move or not move, the the um, the armies had generally at this time, uh, you know, the idea of uh, uh, different wings would have different orders, uh, and part of the success of the army was still the sort of ancient type uh, concept where an army that was working in concert could uh, defeat much larger armies. Um, and uh, a lot of that was down to leadership, and, and you don't see that in this game really at all. Uh, there's no way to sort of model the Gustavus Adolphus uh, advantages of, of of leadership.
0: Well, but hang on though. Like one of the things, like the nature of military innovation during this period, is frequently not necessarily uh you know not necessarily action on the battlefield but is often sort of about more doctrine and 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 the way your army fights and so it's the case where the story of this period in a lot of ways is armies refining how to integrate firepower into the old um you know pike and horse model uh and how like figuring out how to increase their firepower while not like making themselves too vulnerable to cavalry and so i kind of feel like you know, we're very used to conventions in war games where leaders have these sort of magical powers. Where like this unit can move, uh, you know, this this move this unit gets extra moves because they're inspired, or this unit is going to be more resistant to morale shocks uh, because there's this little magical aura around it. Um, but I'm not necessarily sure I have a problem with abstracting that out. Like units, have, like armies, have varying quality uh, in this period, and there's definitely scenarios where. Uh, the The better led army that better leadership is represented by the fact that that army uh has the more modern approach to warfare they have the, you know're the, they're they're, get, they're reducing the pike ratio uh and increasing firepower and and sort of taking steps uh into the future so i 'm not sure I necessarily have a problem with abstracting that out you 're talking about unit quality though right. Yeah. Yeah, and because he's, he's arguing that
1: the, the leadership in this period is reflected in the quality of the units. It's about right. the organization of the armies right. more than the presence in the battlefield. Yeah.
2: Right? That's, that's like what you're like. saying, Rob.
0: Yeah. That's a fair that's a fair characterization.
2: Yeah. I mean I I see what you're saying, and I, I mean I'm sympathetic to that, but I really think that, that by by um by not having leadership in the game, which is something that uh you know, I have some games like uh, uh, GMT's line of the North, for example, uh, um, leadership is very important in that. Games that are immediately after this period, there's a, there's a great game that I think uh, you guys should check out uh, called uh, Dragoon, uh, which was uh, horse and musket series. I and mean, there's musket and pike, pike and musket, horse and musket. I, know, remember
1: <laughs> horse, I, I, remember, I, I remember horse and musket.
2: Yeah, so horse and musket's an interesting uh, an interesting game. It's about the battles of Frederick the Great and. It has the dreaded uh, variable activation uh, model, but uh, I think that that kind of um, that kind of model really represents warfare very well up through this period and, and into the Frederick the Great Period. You know, Great Battles of Alexander uh, series uh, by GMT that was also a, a interactive magic. They dropped the variable. Uh, uh, Activation in the could computer you, Could you explain that, that term
0: a little bit? Because I, I think it's a system that may have fallen a little bit out of vogue, uh, at least in PC games. So, could you uh, explain a little bit what it is?
2: Sure. I mean, variable activation just gives you it has the you have a greater or lesser chance of a certain formation uh, that's led by a leader of a greater or lesser quality uh, being activated and able to make a move. You know, at a certain time. Um, or might be able to move earlier, or might be able to move in reaction to something, um, and so you might have a large army, but it's very inflexible because it, uh, you know, it activates late. Like you're 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 not able to um, take advantage of opportunities. You, the the um, uh, the two armies will often trade activations, or you know, one army might activates leaders and then the next army activates uh, one leader and the next army activates leaders again. Uh, this causes problems for example for multiplayer um, because uh, you have to you know rapidly switch back and forth and it, and it increases the number of uh, changes in, uh, in player turn. Um, and and makes email games much longer. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons um, that uh, the Great Battle of Alexander, which was the uh, uh, interactive magic game way back, uh, I think it was in the '90s, uh, but it was a great system, uh, and it's still very popular. Uh, it, the Mark Herman design, uh, very popular in the um, in the board game realm, uh, still uses that. And uh, I think that, you know, taking that out in this sense is – it's understandable, but I just – I can't see games um, – I mean, l- leadership and the ability to activate units is uh, a uh, um, important all the way into the Napoleonic era. And so taking it out of this game, I think just really um, – I mean, I've had very uh, – Bizarre battles in this uh, with with pike and shot, where you know I'm I'm maneuvering large formations of cavalry around the battlefield, kind of running circles around my enemy uh, as we just sort of chase each other around. Things that that uh, could never have really happened. And again, it's an war game. I understand that I'm not trying to criticize it too much, but uh, but the but the lack of leadership is I think a, a notable omission. And and there the the inflexibility of of formations, they do nod to that because the the idea of uh units that get routed and they get pursued and your units can pursue the routed units off the map and they sort of go off and chase right. things and you can't stop them, right? So uh,
0: you know, that then 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 they show up later. There's you know they're like, okay, we're back. What do that, we do now? That can be hysterically funny because there are times yeah. like I've seen like dreaded enemy heavy horse Go chasing after a crappy detached musketeer unit, and I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, thank God, those guys are gone because I got like I got a half dozen turns where I don't have to worry about those guys like riding me down.
1: And this just that is so typical of battles of this period, the 15th, 16th, actually all battles pretty much until you get to the professional armies, where especially with armies of mercenaries, they will. They just pretty much want to loot the bodies anyway, so they will chase people off the battlefield, and if that means they're out of danger or they find a village to pillage over the next hill, so much the better. And keeping command of uh, routing, of cavalry that is chasing a routed unit, that is one of so many battles have been won by cavalry not chasing uh, routed units. If you just go back through history, so many accounts of and. Instead of chasing the routed units, this cavalry, in fact, did something else, because the expectation was that the cavalry would just keep chasing for days, um, and that would be an interesting—that would be a place for leadership to pop up, right? Have units under better leaders, like under like the Swedish general Horn, for example, have his cavalry be less likely to chase, or would come back sooner or faster, or— um, even something, some kind sort of a morale bonus. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of, Rob, you're kind of right that it's a cheesy little magic circle type thing to put around units. So, hey, I mean, I'm, I, I can see the king, therefore I'm braver. Uh, but, I mean, this was a legitimate effect. This was, this was a real thing.
0: Um, well, uh, you know, what I hadn't considered was the activation. Uh, because I, I I didn't consider activation a part a, f- a part and function of command though, though though it obviously is. And I do think that was that is something that I do notice with this game uh, is that you still have, even though your units are the the factor that's hamstringing you is the army's not terribly maneuverable. Wheeling units consumes a lot of uh, movement points, uh, bring all your guns to bear, all these things. Plus, God forbid, artillery, right? Like, artillery kind of plants in one place, and it's kind of stuck there. Uh, but you still have a little bit the, the telepathic general effect in common to entry level war games, where you can move all your units at once, and the re- the right flank and left flank, f- ah, the left flank and the right flank are moving in perfect concert. They you know turn to take the uh, to make a flank attack and support each other. And it is true that one of the more interesting constraints you can have, and you see this a little bit in the uh, you know other entry level war games have done this, like the command and color systems, uh, you know. Even at its most basic level, has uh, you know, sort of randomized activation, and if you play uh, like games like um, Battle Lore or Battles for Westeros. Uh, a major part of the game is, yeah, having special unit powers, commander powers that can let you move a bunch of units all at once, rather than sort of having your your army shuffle along one step at a time. Uh, so yeah, definitely, this is maybe a system that you could have more interesting scenarios unfold if you maybe were fighting your army's inertia a little more than you have to, uh, because as it is this definitely does feel like a game where I can feel myself sort of, I'm figuring out how to fight with these armies and I am sort of solving for the tactics of this period and the the tactics this game wants me to use. And I'm kind of curious what's going to happen after I feel like I've, you know, know, sort of solved for the problem of, of sort of moving these units optimally.
1: It's, I really do like how the game kind of captures the chaos in a way of, you know, period battlefields, how, I mean, you can build this, you can finally get everything lined up nice, and then within two turns, it's just an absolute mess. You'll have one battle going on on one side of the field, another battle going on the other side of the field, and maybe they're kind of connected, but maybe not really, and you're trying to win one really fast so you can support the other people, uh, because that battle's collapsing, and which side gets the cavalry support at the last minute? The... The the morale rules and the disruption rules and the disruption fragmentation stuff. I mean that's you know that's right out of the great battles system from GMT. I'm sure they didn't invent it, uh, but it's it's very if you know the GMT a unit's stable or it gets disrupted and then it gets fragmented and then it routes. So you can see the breakdown uh, bit by bit. So you can sp- see the collapse coming, and I just love how the battlefield fractures, how you will have these pockets of combat, and part of that is because of the routing rules with cavalry running all over the place. Part of that is defending your your, your artillery or trying to get to the enemy artillery. It's not, the not necessarily effective, but it's effective enough to, um, you know, take out 20, 30 guys at a time, and you can't afford to lose 20 or 30 guys at a time. Hey, maybe it'll take out zero. Uh, there's a lot of zeros being rolled by the artillery. Um Battlefield canon isn't exactly, you know, perfect here. So there's this, there's inertia on the battlefield. You're right that things do tend to, you know, get bogged down a bit. But then it just breaks out. Then all of a sudden you get an advantage on one side or the other and things start going nuts. And that's kind of where the game gets really fun tactically. That's where you have to decide when you're going to wheel your when you can afford to wheel your pikes and when is your light cavalry going to finally commit and do something useful uh there's i really do love that that moment just after the lines meet and one starts to give and that's where the i think pike and shot really shines the introductory war game because it does train you to look for those signs of distress um and though i wish the it was better at giving signs and better at transmitting those signals. It is simple enough that it does. It's a great tutorial in like uh, in, in not just period tactics, but pretty much any tactics that would be applicable from, you know, seventeen hundred back to like five hundred BC. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's a, it it does model certain elements of military tactics very well, and it's you know it's a, it's a pretty straightforward system, and it's 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 certainly it's certainly nothing new. Um, there are plenty of rules uh, systems that uh, that use these same concepts, uh, and once again, you know when when you're when you're taking uh, you know sort of a tried and true rules system or type of system and adapting it to the digital uh, arena, I I really wish that. Designers would take more advantage of that and uh, make things a lot easier to sort of parse. Um, But we didn't get that. Uh, It it still makes the game, uh, it doesn't make the game less interesting.
1: It'd be nice if the history was a little bit better. Some of the battles, there's some really interesting battles, but they decide to interpret them in really weird ways. I'll I'll mention two uh, battles I know pretty well by, like, for, for, for Novo. Battle in mm-hmm. the 15th century, important battle mm-hmm. in the Italian Wars. Mm-hmm. It's um, they just have the the imperial the Venetian the Italian army crosses the river and attacks the French. That's how mm-hmm. it's portrayed in the game. Very mm-hmm. simple battle, very clear and straightforward. They're chasing a French army. Great. Historically, and what makes for an interesting war game, and it's been done in war games quite a few times, is that is a flooding river and a muddy plain, and not all the Italian armies. Forces can get across that river because it is flooding. And the French artillery can't fire it because there's just been rain. And the mud is important. And the river is important. All of these things are big parts of that battle that uh, the developers here have just chosen to ignore. They have the river there, but it's just a small little tile thing. There's no sense this is a flooding river, that this is a tactical problem you have to deal with as a general. Whereas every other war game that's tried to model Fornovo. Understands that this is what makes the battle interesting. This is what makes the French able to win this. Mm-hmm. It's not just they have better crossbows, it's that the Italians have to cross this stupid river to chase them. Mm-hmm. Then, we have, yeah. and then we have another example of Breitenfeld, the mm-hmm. Gustavus Adolphus' yes. first big war, first big mm-hmm. win in the, in the Thirty Years' War. And it's the Swedes against the Imperials, and the Swedes have on their left uh, Saxons, useless, useless Saxons. Um, historically, the Austrian army, the German, the Imperial army, just routs the Saxons, chases them off the field, and Gustavus Adolphus has to deal with that. Mm-hmm. How do they deal with this in the game? The Saxons are paralyzed. You can't do anything with them; they're just standing there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And even once they're attacked, when you'll have the reaction fire, you can't move them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So instead of actually having them just be weaker or Giving having them do something but suck at it, they just make them immobile units, which turns them into a roadblock for the charging Imperials. So I just you know wheel my get some send some Spanish some Swedish cavalry and infantry that way and hit the now blocked imperial troops who can't do anything because they're fighting uphill against parked saxons
0: that's that's definitely a little weird because this game definitely has the tools to model crap units like i've had to fight a few battles yep. with uh you know raw troops who uh just are not as efficient and are not as durable as uh, veteran units
1: i mean even if it's just a little tr- triggered event like the saxons start and then they run off That would make it interesting and say, you're here, you're you're just controlling the Swedes, you didn't control the Saxons, oh, now the Saxons are gone. Instead, they just say, oops, turn one, Saxons are paralyzed, what are you going to do? So I haven't played all of the battles, Mm -hmm. but there are some really interesting battles in this period. And seeing two Mm -hmm. battles that I know reasonably well being done, being given to this very simple system and no effort to actually say, hey, let's try to play around with this a little bit. Let's try to make the battle feel more interesting. Let's try to have some fun with this instead of lining up the troops and seeing what happens, just throwing them together. Um, which is, I mean, they're not bad battles, but especially for Novo, it's it's a great encounter and it's a great mix-up, but it's not for Novo.
2: Yeah, the, uh, the there's a a sort of uh, model for doing this in in the board game. Uh, world which is to have special rules for each scenario you know the popular way to do it is to have you know four battles from a period and then you have a set of of uh sort of base rules and then you have special rules for um for each battle and sometimes can be quite extensively modifying the system and uh and you see that over and over in various ways uh and that's i wonder <coughs> if, if slithering felt that that was too um you know that that Detracted from the idea of this, uh, you know, introductory war game that, you know, they didn't want players to have to to assimilate a whole bunch of different rules for every scenario. Um, but I mean, it, it does it does weird things to scenarios when it, the only variation is sort of the map and the units and there there's no um, consideration given to the to the actual uh, historical events. You know, and Moore was it was a battle of of coordination and uh, in the game, it's just these two sort of sides just smash these giant lines into each other. Um, so it, it's limited as a sort of historical model. Um, but uh, I think what it loses there, I think, is probably what you're picking up. I mean, I think you guys are pretty both pretty enthusiastic about the game, aren't you?
1: i very, i'm also very positive about it i think it's a, i think it's a strong game i've played i've put mm. a lot of hours into it mm. uh, a lot of time i'm not say hours because the battle scenarios yeah. aren't that long uh, yeah. a, 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 11 hours i put 11 hours into it so i've played yeah. quite a, quite a few battles in this because yeah. the battles a, aren't th- all that long
2: yeah that's a lot of battle for the, for the listeners that's a lot of battles uh in in uh, in the game because you really you don't even need an hour to finish one battle no. much less than that but um but i think that part of what you know being positive about it is that uh, it's so accessible and i think that that uh it would be difficult to keep that accessibility uh to casual players and try to layer on a whole bunch of uh, special rules what do you think rob um
0: well going back to the the positivity about this game i like we shouldn't get too bogged down on on the negative about this because i think i i sent you guys kind of an enthusiastic email a few days ago about Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. um uh, you know there's there's a lot of things i really like here i I think one thing that's not to be uh that should be stressed is that this is a very fast-paced uh war game and i kind of love it's sort of snappy pace of play uh Eleven Hours is a ton of scenarios, and I like sort of being able to. This is a game where I can sit down and play a full scenario end to end uh, in one sitting, and there's always something for me to do. Uh, now, some of those scenarios can be quite big, and you know maybe that mm-hmm. has to be save save some for later. But it is nice to have a war game where there's really not much to distract you from just the the task of maneuvering these units around. Yeah. Um. So I mean, there's. There's a great pace of play here, and I do enjoy I enjoy how different this feels. You know, the what I'm used to at this point, most of my wargaming, uh, by default, tends to be World War II wargaming, because it's the most popular, or mm-hmm. Napoleonics, because uh, they're probably the next most popular. And I'm also very really used to some of the d- dynamics of those areas, particularly Napoleonics, which are generally modeled with this um, very clear, like rock paper scissors, uh, type of type of approach to to game design, where you know, okay, the cavalry can be beaten by. You know, well-deployed heavy infantry, but like the heavy infantry can be broken up by artillery and anyone with his back turned and already engaged can be destroyed by infantry and artillery very, uh, by, by cavalry and artillery is very vulnerable to cavalry as well. These are all things we're very used to. We've done this a million and one times before sort of maneuvering these units around and putting them in position where these um, the, these oppositions will work in our favor. Um, yeah, I mean the novelty is definitely uh an interesting uh I mean
2: there's a there's a great uh, amount of the the novelty factor is a, is a big deal here. Um but same thing with those scenarios, are you did either of you figure out how to switch sides?
1: I don't think you can switch sides. No, and that's, I what that's probably my biggest problem with the scenarios. I mean first there's a there's a great variety of scenarios. I mean I think each of the three historical sets has like seven or eight battles. So that on its own is quite a lot. Of value, Plus the, the skirmish uh, generator is very good mm-hmm. with uh, a bunch of different army lists for each period. So you can have quite a bit of fun there. But the fact that within the historical stuff, I'm forced to play the Protestants in the Thirty Years' War. And I'm forced to play the whoever's not the French in the Italian Wars.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I have to play uh, the Cavaliers in the English Civil War.
0: Troy hates uh, playing the good guys. <laughs>
1: I don't want to play the Cavaliers. I want to play Cromwell. I want to. Play, I, I, I love to stop Sadolphus, but I also, but I also want to be Wallenstein. I mean, I'd like to have that option. I'd like to have the option of trying to win Breitenfeld as the Empire, for example. And one of the great, and you no, know, not just play Marston Moore and get my head beaten in by Cromwell all the time. Um, so the fact that I can't switch sides, uh, I can't obviously switch sides. You would think that would be in the manual, and I couldn't find any help online for that either. Um, I'm kind of stuck there. and I don't know why they would do that. I, I think, the uh,
2: Troy, the only reason I can think of that people generally do that is to uh, balance things. So they don't want you... If, if you can't balance a scenario, then you simply take the side that's weaker and let the player play it.
1: But you're always playing like the same side through all the scenarios. You're always playing the royalists.
2: Right. But I mean, if you just balance the scenarios so that, uh, you know, you don't have to, you, the game doesn't have to be, the scenario doesn't have to be balanced, okay. they can just balance to right. one side or the other, right, right. and then you just let the player play the weaker side, and, and they'll lose a few times, and then as they get better, they'll, uh, um, you know, they'll eventually win, and you'll get that, you know, more playings out of it that way. It's really hard to balance scenarios, so I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, under- Speaking I understand. Of,
0: what did you guys make of the random battle generator, which the game actually points you to, is like, hey, before you even start with the campaign, why don't you generate some random battles and play those? Which is unusual. Usually, um, you mm-hmm. know, the campaign is kind of the, the, main, the main course there. Uh, what, do, what do you guys make of the battle generator?
1: The skirmish generator is great. I, r- I really do like it. I like how many things you can change. I, lo- I love the army lists. Um so many war games i mean so many ed- they they might have an editor, but they won't have a random battle generator or a skirmish generator, which is i mean the total war games do um age of rifles did, but so many games have moved towards scenario editing that's so where you can people can finally craft their fake battles, which is all well and good, but you know I just love the idea of. You know, they'll draw me a map, I just give them the armies the number of points, and they'll give me a battle. Uh, I played one uh, last night as the new model army against an army of cavaliers, two huge armies bagging into each other. And it was great fun. I lost um, because I couldn't get my infantry up fast enough. I lost on both cavalry wings. My infantry did not advance fast enough. So even though I was winning the infantry battle, it was just not enough. Both armies were half destroyed. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of casualties i I really like it i mean i it's something that I really wish more war games had fun with uh this sort of uh, battle system where you just it's a worth a little toy um and you make your pretend battles and it does it for you. Did you play a game with a rub
0: yeah, and usually i was i was really because usually in in my experience. Uh, a lot of random battle generators kind of suck. They generate scenarios that I just never find uh, that interesting. Like I know there are people who swore up and down by the Steel Panthers random battle generator. I found it murderously dull. Um, you know, kind of just these these big World War II Donny Brooks that that I never really clicked with. Um, but here, I, I, here I found uh, the, you know the the randomly generated uh, battles were pretty well laid out sometimes quite interestingly laid out where you'll have like split wings um and they and fairly they they felt fairly balanced yeah i think that the i
2: i didn't play much with it but uh what i what i saw of it, i was very surprised that they would do something like that because that can completely fail um and they must have tested that uh quite a bit or just got lucky but uh either way i do i do appreciate the fact that they did that i i'm not a big fan of the scenario editor uh, as sort of a um, a replacement for uh, interesting g- uh, scenarios that come with the game. I know that a lot of games sort of give players an editor and then expect the players themselves to start posting scenarios. And you know you have to go look and and um, you know pick your way through a whole bunch of stuff. A lot of it's junk, and uh, you don't find that out until you've actually devoted a lot of time to it. So uh, I I really do appreciate a working. Uh, skirmish mode that um that's unusual in in this genre and and seems pretty balanced now that said i do play historical war games because of the historical part right um i i don't really i'm not a miniatures gamer where you know you you buy your armies with points paint your paint your soldiers and then you know bring them to battle and it's the it's that part of the um, you know the sort of balancing and and uh, point purchase and and things like that 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 are interesting to me it's the, it's the recreation of whatever historical event it is so you know ultimately i wouldn't end up playing a lot of skirmish because that's just not i'd rather play Breitenfeld 10 times than play 10 different skirmishes and and um, the fact that the Battles themselves are so simple, and they they're, they're, uh, they don't recreate the historical situation too closely, uh, makes them a little less interesting to me.
0: Uh, I wanted to call it, wanted to call it the tutorial a little bit as well, just as something that hmm. I actually really enjoyed. Um, I mean, it helps. It's easy to do a good tutorial when your game is this simple, right? Uh, but <laughs> you, I didn't... You,
1: you, you would think. But we can both, we can all think of games that fail on that
0: level. That is true. Um, ten minutes on camera controls is always a bad yes. sign. Yeah. Um,
1: Congratulations, soldier! You can walk in a straight line.
0: Move <laughs> your mouse to the edge of the screen. Good job. Yeah, th- those are the worst. Uh, here you get. I think it's it's a four scenario tutorial.
1: Something like yes. that. Yeah. I think um,
0: so, yeah. Where the first sort of is a straight fight. Uh, And then they start introducing concealed units that you have to, that you sort of have to fight. Uh, fight against uh, then they force you to break a prepared position and then there's I think a scenario where you got to deal with um, the fact that you have a weaker force and you've got to use sort of irregular units to sort of kite around and whittle down an enemy force that uh, will brush you aside if you if you engage them uh, early before they've been cut down to size it's it's a good mix of scenarios they're actually they're, they actually are interesting scenarios that also illustrate the Major dynamics you're going to be uh, concerned with for the rest of the game. I was really pleased by a tutorial that actually kept me engaged. It wasn't just something to play through and get out of the way so I knew the game. Uh, by the end, I was sort of having to think about, oh, what is this a- actually asking me to do? What have I just learned about using detached musketeers? For interesting, for 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 example, what you know, how do I, how do you engage a superior force? and wear it down before the main engagement. Uh, that is, that, that's, that's pretty cool.
1: And, and the AI uses those lessons against you. These aren't things they are just teaching you to do well. These are things you will encounter uh, on the other side. Um, it, is, it is a quite, it's a, it's a short tutorial I and mean, for decent sized missions, but they're all not that long. Um, and they won't teach you everything you need to know, They'll teach you more than the manual does, which is you know quite flimsy uh, in general. I, I it it does it's a tutorial that it's it, it's a lot better than, than the, the the briefings they give you before the battles which are not the best but i I, I did learn a lot I, I even went back and played I think the third or fourth mission a few times just to make sure that I got it see so I could get, get do better at it and be more efficient because it proved to be something quite useful um, and I, I also want to speak up for the AI which i think is quite good I've seen, I was playing a battle this afternoon, uh, before the show, I guess this evening, uh, Ravenna, where I play the uh, Neapolitan army that's entrenched, and the French are supposed to come and get me and drive me out well, they're not driving me out three turns in and they're just pounding me with artillery. They're just sitting there pounding. I, I have to drag them out. I have to bait them out. I have to threaten them with my light cavalry so they'll move forward to defend their guns. And that's how I get them moving forward. Otherwise, they would have been happy just shelling my guys till the end of time because they had a five to one cannon advantage. Um, the fact that I had to do that instead of the, it just the AI following the script, which is I'm supposed to attack now. Um, I think was, I, I'm, I'm thinking that's the AI, uh, doing some relatively intelligent things.
2: Yeah, I, I thought the AI was reasonable. Um, the, uh, the fact that the, that the units have limited, um, uh, limited options sometimes. So, you know, it's, there, there is a nice, uh, nod to the fact that, you know, you can't, a unit can't just ignore, uh, an enemy unit that's, you know, sitting right in front of it to turn and wheel and try to hit the flank of the unit to its left. So given those restrictions, uh, I think that the AI does a, a nice job of, you know, sort of choosing targets for things that it's uh, – for, for the different units. And um, because there aren't a whole lot of, you know, big strategic decisions to make, uh, you know, the tactical – as a tactical engine, I think it, it works pretty well. Uh, and the AI is able to – is able to sort of follow the rules and uh, and use units Pretty much the way they should be.
0: Yeah, I, I have uh, given that I've struggled at times to beat it. I would have to say this is a pretty pretty decent AI. What I particularly like is um, it seems hard to bait, which surprised me because I, I can't figure out why it seems to know when it needs to respond in force and why it's content to sit there in, and hold position uh, until I've come in and exposed myself. Like there've been a few times where it's sort of drawn up a battle line and I'm trying to sort of lightly skirmish and, and break up that battle line just by sort of peppering it with fire from, um, you know, mounted, uh, carbine troops, that sort of thing. And it will just sit there and not really come out until I move enough units into the strike zone where suddenly the AI just surges forward and it's going to hit me with everything all at once. Um, which is the exact outcome I wanted to avoid as a matter of fact so it's, it's, it's interesting to me that the, the AI doesn't just you know, hold position well but it also seems to be able to distinguish between what is a credible attack and what is just harassing fire uh, and it knows when it needs to throw all its weight behind an attack and uh, when it should just sort of hang back and uh, continue skirmishing
2: yeah it
1: won't go on wild goose chases uh, generally, which is something that is is problematic for a lot of um, you know, pike and shot and mounted infantry type uh, and cavalry type games uh, for the AI. They they it, it will not chase you pointlessly. Um, there's not a huge fog of war problem here. I think that's part of it that it, it always can tell that what's what's going on. Uh, there aren't. I mean, you've mentioned concealed units but they the only concealed one ones really highly hiding in bushes or in houses and they don't pop up a lot of the time um, so I think the fact that the AI always has an idea of where things are is a good is a good part of it but yeah it, it is it, it can it, it takes quite a bit to draw it out you need to pose a threat to something um, and then, then when it commits it will it will commit unless you know it's I mean, unless, of course, it's routing all your units and then all the horse will run away and then they'll come back and hit you in the butt.
0: Yeah. Um, I've also enjoyed sort of... It's interesting, like, games have different ways of sort of modeling the sudden onset of a route, right? What an army looks like as it breaks up. One of the things I I enjoy here is that you will sometimes have, um, you know, during the pursuit phase, units will just sort of get on a roll and keep charging. Um, and it's kind of cool to see w- when it happens when you see, you know, cavalry slams into one of your units or yours slams into one of theirs. That unit breaks, goes running off. The cavalry unit then wheels to pursue, keeps chasing, but ends up being intercepted by another unit, charges straight into that one, breaks it. And continues, it's, it's really neat when you see these things just completely start, like, when you see our formations completely unraveling because of sort of the, uh, you know, I guess you call it like the pool ball effect of, um, or, or the, uh, the, the ping pong effect of routing units and their pursuers
2: yeah you get these yeah
0: like a chain reaction
2: uh you know it's somebody charges and then uh breaks somebody, but then somebody gets in the way and they they're so enthusiastic they go charge that person and then it it just it kind of devolves into this uh and i i mean i think that for for players who are who are new to the period and think, oh you know, I hate this, this isn't uh, you know i I'm losing control of my units well that you know congratulations you've learned about uh, thirty years <laughs> warfare so um, I, I mean, I like the way it works, and I and I think uh, it it also, you know, tells nice little stories. I mean, I had a scenario where, um, you know, I sort of got a little carried away, and I had uh, I I had some initial success, but then my cattle just routed. Or uh, you know, chase the routing units right off the board, and all of a sudden, I had uh, you know I was missing all my cavalry units, and then they showed up later, and uh, I was able to use them to good effect. And it was you know, so relieved to see them show up. you know, over the hill, oh here you guys are back. Here, go charge these guys. Um, so it, it does. The, the battle narrative is very snappy as well, um, and and I appreciate that. It's it's uh, the rules are simple, but
0: it generates some pretty dynamic battle. That's helped by the fact that, and it's a small thing. Uh, But I like that this game actually gives you a casualty breakdown uh, in terms of killed, wounded, uh, captured. Because a lot of times there's the, like, it's just, a lot of times war games can feel maybe a little too unique. Like, what is, okay, that is an infantry unit. What does that represent? I have no idea. But that little icon just ran away. Uh, Whatever. And so you get the battle result, and it's just like you know, you 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 routed this many units. Um, or really, what really matters is here's you know, here's how many uh, victory points you're holding at the end. This is not that kind of war game. Um, it is really about shattering uh, the, the enemy army, and every unit is sort of measured in terms of you know how many how many musketeers are in it, how many uh, pikemen are in it, how many how many cavalrymen are are in it. And so I I kind of like getting that end of battle report because it kind of makes the the action of the battle feel real, where it's like, oh wow, this the, it felt like a bloodbath during the game, and now I'm looking at it and yeah, wow, when those infantry units got mixed up uh, before the cavalry before my cavalry routed the enemy, when those infantry units just slugged it out, they just murdered each other. Uh, I, I kind of enjoy getting those getting those casualty reports, and it sort of that tells its own story because it 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 renders t- maybe tangible what you could only sort of implicitly feel during the action of the combat mm-hmm. yeah it's, and it's the kind of thing i wish you could see during the
2: combat uh and you know just watch the army shrink or uh just have it be more yeah. more tangible uh earlier on
0: i i so badly wish you could see like I, I wish there were battlefield casualties in this game and i wish formations started to look ragged As they get shot up, uh, because I know I've had because, you know, it would it would make it make the the, some of these scenarios are quite big. And you mentioned earlier that there's a readability issue and it it just it does need to be stressed. The fact that a unit that is maximum strength, just brimming with pikemen and uh, and musketeers uh, will appear identical to its sibling unit. Which has basically been cut down to you know a couple hundred um, mm-hmm. you know weary soldiers uh, that, that sh- that's something you should be able to see in the battlefield you know when you have the center starting to buckle it would be nice it would be nice if there was something to show you those units are in distress uh, right. Revan sort of makes making you go and, and police it every lo- every turn like okay I feel like that unit's had a lot of casualties how many guys are left and you have to you have to answer that for yourself it, it would be nice if that was represented very exciting.
2: Yeah, I will, well, it would take advantage of the presentation. I mean, yeah. you can do that. Even in a board game, I mean, you, see, you have units that are reduced strength. Usually those are printed on a uh, different, um, right. you know, different shade of, of the counter or something like that. Uh, here, there's just no way to tell.
1: And this draws so, so much from miniature rules. Miniatures have that. You can just take a man yeah. off your stick. I mean, this is yeah. pretty basic stuff.
0: Um, you know? Also, this game needs an undo button like I would not believe yeah <laughs> uh, because of the way you like if the interface is fine and it's easy to understand but it's also an interface that's very easy to make a small mistake on right like right. oh you clicked on the wrong square and your unit fired instead of moved right? Um, or you, you got the, the the rotate icon and the movement icon mixed up oh, and God, so now yes. that unit has just kind of exposed its flank right before a charge and it's gonna die.
2: Right. Uh,
0: these are things that I just I, I desperately need an undo button. Uh, so that I'm not just screaming in rage when, like, right. a critical unit of dragoons just go bolting for no good reason to their deaths uh, because I misclicked. Yeah. Well, that's it's
2: it hard to do uh, undo in a game with a reaction fire um, because at every time, every every point that uh, you, a unit moves, there's a possibility that it can be shot at. Uh, so to undo, you didn't have to undo the thing that you just saw happen. Um, it, which It's different in a game where you're, you know, you sort of, the unit isn't in place until you take your hand off the piece, right, yeah. so to speak. Um, so, you know, until you actually say, okay, I moved there, nothing about the game system changes. But once you actually have a game where there's a dynamic response from the opposite side, every different space you move, I can see how uh, not having an undo would be, uh, you know... That's kind of the solution.
0: That's true, but in, in, in single-player mode, at least, I mean, if I want to cheat, let me cheat. Uh, I wouldn't. I know a lot of people would. Uh, mm-hmm. Whoa, that, that reaction fire certainly killed a lot of guys. Let me see. Let me not do that. Right. Uh, but, nonetheless, it is, it is a little frustrating when, like, your 20 turns in and your battle just, like, took a major hit because you just, right. just gave the wrong order, and you yeah. do the thing you wanted. Fair uh, enough. But that's a small thing. Overall, um... You know, last impressions. Recommended or not? I'd
2: recommend it. I mean, I recommend it uh, for people who aren't familiar with the period, get an interesting uh, idea of how armies worked at this time. I think it's a very simple game. You can sort of assimilate the rules uh, very quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, for those who aren't wedded to historical situations like I am the skirmish, uh, the random battle generator actually generates interesting, uh, scenarios. So you can sort of go to town on that. I, am i despite all the criticisms that I've had, I mean, I think I want to make it clear that those are criticisms of specific things in the sort of general context of game design, but overall, I, you know, I, I do like the game.
1: Yeah, I would recommend it. I mean, it's a bit of a—it isn't a a cheap game. This is a Slytherin Matrix product, so understand you're paying like forty bucks uh, for this introductory war game. But it is—it is a unique setting. It is will teach you some interesting things. Uh, You will learn about some really really cool battles, which are done not perfectly but reasonably. And really, if you want a computer war game about this, you're, it's either this or the HPS Renaissance game, which has many, many more battles. It does have leadership, which is nice, and it's also worth a look. But it also it also has you know the HPS interface, yes, and HPS art, uh, which is not. I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to say Pike and Shot is great art, but. Uh, so, no, but uh,
0: no. By, by hardcore war game standards, it's great art. Like compared <laughs> to like a John Tiller HPS game, this is this is the Mona freaking Lisa.
1: But I mean, the, but uh, the, I, I would recommend you know, if you're curious about this period, check out Pike and Shot, then check out HPS Renaissance, which does have some really really great battles and great encounters in it. But it also assumes a little more knowledge of the period than Pike and Shot does, which can get you started very nicely.
0: Yeah, same. Uh I give it a pretty strong recommendation. I, I, I gotta say. Like I think I'm probably the highest on it out of out of all of us. Um I'm a sucker for nice, fast-paced, uh, you know, easy to learn war games, and I do you know, I, I really enjoy off the wall uh, subjects, things that we haven't seen a million times before. And this is definitely, this definitely has a different novel feel uh, c- compared to Napoleonic games uh, that you might be used to or medieval games. Uh, it's kind of this this weird uh, in between period in military history, and this game does a pretty good job of bringing that to life. So, uh, well worth a look.
1: I mean, it's a novel game in it's novelty, but it doesn't bathe itself in its novelty. It doesn't try to overwhelm me with how hip cool it is by being different. Um, I think that kind of hurts it in a way, but not having like really amazing art and getting all the battles right. But that's such a bonus to have a game that is so unique, but doesn't, that says, well, but let's just make this playable first and then we will yeah. deal both with the other stuff
0: so that'll do it for pike and shot and uh i'm not entirely sure what we're doing for next week i know it's on the calendar uh but what's on the calendar and what we actually end up doing not always one and the same so <laughs> i'm going to hedge my bets and just say we will see you next week for something on three moves ahead good night everybody bye all
2: good night